If you recall, he held up two pieces of paper and how when you look through one is us, but you kind of see this shadow of Christ or this, this image of Christ through us. And that's how the world can know who Christ is. And the way that the whole system was designed and set up is from the very beginning, God chose people to tell people. I've said it before, he could have used skywriting, he could have used a whole lot of other methods, but he's chosen to use people to tell people about who Christ is. And um, how Christ affects our humanity and our personhood with his divinity. And we can be described, but not fully understood, and not fully known by those who are outside of Christ. Like, there's something different about us, but they don't know what it is. Well, today I want to expand a little bit upon that idea and the fact that in Christ we have a purpose. And a lot of times in life, we walk through life, and it's not that we're aimless or things don't mean anything, but we don't even know who we are. We can't define who we are. And by not being able to define who we are, who we are gets lost. And so then we start to try to define ourselves in other terms. Uh, We try to define ourselves by who we are, like by what we do, for instance, or by who our family is, or by the fact that we're married or have this or have that. We define ourselves by our wealth, by our acquisitions, by how much we have. And the danger in that is it's a poor illusion to the reality of who you are. You are more than what you amass. You are more than what you produce. Now, do I believe in amassing? No, and yet I went and looked at travel trailers yesterday and kept going, well, it'd be nice to have one of these. Am I more than what I produce? I hope so, because I don't produce a lot. (laughs) My line is not production. And yet, that's how so many of us define our value and worth or see ourselves. And yet Christ sees you as, in him, you are complete. You have a purpose. And today I want to talk to you about what your purpose is. So three ways that you can see and know that you have a purpose in Christ. Philadelphia, where did I come up with that? Philippians 4, 14. I'm going to have to stop abbreviating. It says, nevertheless, you have done well that you should know me in my distress. Here is the very first thing that we know that we have a purpose in Christ is in Christ, you have done well. Just knowing him in that very moment, in that while you were a sinner, you recognized who Christ is, it says you've done well. That while you were not even, you didn't even realize what you were doing. You recognize, hey, I sin, and you recognize, hey, I want to connect with God, creator, and however you saw him or understood him when you first did it, you recognized, I'm not enough, and what I want to do is connect with him, and it says by, that very, by those very terms, you have done well. Your very first step. You didn't even realize it, and he's already going, good job. You're like God's little child who you bring home this picture of a turtle that's purple for some reason, and none of it's actually colored in the lines, and you take it and you stick it up on the fridge. Because you have done well. You've recognized. It's nothing you really did, but God loves you so much that he looks at you and goes, Oh, you decided to repent? You've done well. Good job. Good start. So, I am alive in Christ. Ephesians 2.5 tells us this. Even while we were dead in trespasses, made alive 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. If I am alive, then my actions change. If I'm living and breathing and functioning, there's still a purpose for me. As long as that happens, as long as that exists, I keep going. I don't give up. I don't quit. There's some reason that I'm still functioning and breathing. If I'm alive, then I still have purpose. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up yourself, your life, your marriage, your family. You go, Jeff, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But what I know is this. If you're still alive, then God still has a purpose and a plan for you. If you're still with us, then there's still a purpose. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. But also, along that same token, it's my job and my purpose to reflect Him in all that I say, in all that I think, in all that I do, in all that I believe. How I view the world is not just merely as they're just a bunch of lost causes out there. I view the world this way. There are a bunch of people who need to know the love and grace, hope and forgiveness that Jesus offers. And when I view the world that way, instead of as, well, it's all just a lost cause and I just throw up my hands and give up. When I view it as, hey, my neighbor is just a broken person that's sinful that needs to know you, then that helps me have compassion and grace and empathy on my neighbor. When I view the person who I don't agree with online in my neighborhood that's telling me why we should do this or that as maybe they just don't understand and know who Christ is, it changes who I am. Because if I was dead in my sin, but I've been made alive, then that same grace that saved me has to be exuded from me to others. But the other thing on that same thing is, though I look and I go, the world is lost and unknowing, I'm also not better than them. I'm not better than the person who's lost and unknowing. But sometimes it can come across as, well, I'm better because I've been saved. I'm blessed. So I get good parking spaces at the mall. It's more than that. I'm not better than them. I'm literally no better than them. I'm just not subject to the same damnation of them. And I have God active and working in me and through me. But only if I allow him to be working in me and through me. Too many people claim to know Christ, but it doesn't change their relationship with the person on their left and their right. So then I say, do we really know him? Because if my actions are not changed, then am I really reflecting who I claim to know? Not because I'm better than you, but because I recognize my sin. And that's the only difference. I'm no better. I'm just more in recognition and in tune with how broken I am. We're all broken. It's just some of us recognize it and recognize our need for salvation. And other people don't see that. And God is looking at you and calling you all out to say, hey, this is what I need. Second way is that I can know my purpose in Christ is when I respond to God's word. James 1, 22 through 25 tells me this. 
says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Oh, wow. That's kind of heavy because that means I don't just get to hear a nice message, sing a couple of songs, and go about my week as if nothing's changed. That means there's something for me to do, some way for me to respond. And I said earlier, our identity is not in what we do, and yet at the same time, what I do should be a reflection of who I am in Him. He is helping me become who He created me to be, but that becoming takes action on my part. And there's too many people who want to go, well, if I'm in Christ, then I don't have to do anything. No, that's not true at all. And yet it's not about what we do. It's about our willingness. Am I willing? Sometimes God just wants to know if you're willing to get off your little tushy and get out there and start loving people. Because love oftentimes takes action on our part. Your spouse, though they may appreciate you know, whatever gift you give them, sometimes you getting up early and making their coffee is far more important than you buying something for them. Action sometimes says, I care about you so much that I'm going to put my sweat, my time, my energy into you. I see that sometimes when people will say, is there anything I can do for the church? It doesn't mean they're not giving financially. It means they want to put action to their words. They want to come and fix a broken toilet or rewire lights. You know, we had all new lighting. Some of you may not have even noticed put in in the lobby because we kept losing lights and we could no longer even buy the ones that we had because they were over 20 years old. So I was like, well, I don't want half and half. So we put in new lights and someone spent hours putting them in, and most of you probably walked by and never even noticed. And it's now actually white light instead of yellow light. You should have noticed how much brighter it was. Y'all blew it. I'm kidding. <laughs> but there's somebody who literally takes their skills and their time and their talent and says, how can I serve you? It requires us to respond. And again, it's not if you do enough, then God's going to love you enough. He cannot love you more than, you are, than he already does. But he still says, if you've experienced that, and it's real and it's genuine, then get out there and do something to let the world know you're not the same. To let the people around you know you're not the same. But see, it tells us here, see, I first must know his voice. I just have been doing a series with the youth on Jonah. And my favorite part about Jonah is it says, God told Jonah, And Jonah didn't want to do what he did. But my favorite part is that Jonah knows God's voice. How many of us know God's voice but still don't do what he's called us to do? It's one thing if you don't know. Because it talks about how the people in Nineveh didn't know their left hand from their right. They didn't know. But Jonah knows God's voice and still chooses not to do it. How many times has God told us through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, just, we know we're supposed to do something, but eh, that'll make me look weird. And again, I've told you before, please don't look weird. (laughs) Please. The church has enough people out there looking weird. But let's be responsive to what God tells us to do. 
All right? Let's be a people who are responsive to what God tells us to do. We must know his voice. Jesus tells us this little lesson in Luke 2, 49. It says, I must be about my father's business. At age 12, he already saw it. And when they go, where have you been? He looks and goes, what is wrong with you? Which, don't say that to your parents, kids. But he did. He looks and goes, what's wrong with you? I must be about my father's business. I was here doing what I know I have to be called to do. How many of us are about the father's business on a day-to-day basis? We're hearing, we're sensitive, we're doing, we're knowing. Because that's what you've been told to do. Be about the father's business. If you're a lawyer, be the best lawyer you can, but be about the father's business. If you're a plumber, plumb to the absolute best that you can. But let's be about the father's business. Whatever your vocation is can be a reflection of who you are in Christ. Are you the one that they go, wow, that guy's a good worker. Wow, that person is really dedicated and committed to the kids she teaches or whatever it is. I'm not saying you all have to be a pastor in order to fulfill what God calls you. That's not what he says. But he says, let's be about my father's business in my speech, in my actions every day. Third thing is, I am compelled to righteousness. When I see sin in my life, he says, when you see it and you know it, you have to deal with it. I can't just ignore the sins I know that I don't like, that I, well, it's it's a habit, it's a pattern, it's a whatever. Yes, it is. And he's looking and he's saying, change it, because you're compelled to righteousness. Now, if you don't know, you don't know. And there are sometimes sins that we may be doing and then not even realize it's a sin. And there there are also those things where God says, You can't do this, but other people get to. Paul addresses that. He says, some things aren't even sin, but God says, you can't do that anymore because I need to set you apart for something else. In the Old Testament, there was a group and they were um, not allowed to cut their hair and they were not allowed to ever have alcohol. And there was this whole list of things that they weren't allowed to do. And then the 20th century church in America decided those were going to be our rules. One small group in the Old Testament, we're going to base everything on them. And yet God was probably going, what? What What are you doing? I didn't say to do that. Now, is it wrong to live this life based on wanting to be better? No, but the problem was not that we were told to do it. Some of you grew up in the Pentecostal holiness traditions of various denominations. And so we don't play cards, we don't roller skate, we don't go bowling, we don't go anywhere that liquor served, and we don't smoke, and we don't drink, and we don't chew, and we don't hang with the boys who do, and we don't do any of those things. Some of you were raised in that. But the problem is not that I'm not going to do it. The problem is then, well, I must be a better Christian than you are because you Don't follow the same rules I do. And then that's when God's really going, hey, wait, I called one group of people to do that. And if you choose to set yourself apart that way, that's fine. God wasn't punishing or condemning. What he didn't like was, who are you to tell this brother or sister or younger Christian that if they don't do this, they're not enough, that God doesn't love them, that they can't be accepted? And that's where... That's where the church got broken. And that's where we're trying now. And again, we're going to look back in 25 years and you're going to see all the mistakes I'm making and I'm going to go, yep, it's true, I didn't know. I'm not talking just about those. But at the time, there were people who were saying, hey, this isn't right. What you're doing is creating bondage and legalism for people. And the church said, that's okay, I don't care. As long as they follow the rules. 
And I'm here to tell you today, righteousness is not about following the rules. Righteousness is about being attuned with who the Holy Spirit is in you and through you. And what he's correcting in you may be, just wait, correction for you, not for the other people around you. Now, as parents, do we set a standard? Absolutely. Do we have different, our house rules may be different than your house rules. Our house rules, some people couldn't have handled because ours were always like, eh, kind of just be nice and don't do that. Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not saying I was a good parent. I've said many times, I probably was a terrible parent. I've told my children, I'll pay for your first, you know, 10 therapy sessions. I'll do it. (laughs) Because, man, I can't feel how you could have made it through this house without needing some. My daughter's taking me up on My son hasn't yet. We'll see. It's just the truth. But just because I say I'm not going to do this, I'm going to set myself apart, God may not be telling somebody else to do that same thing. Some of you know my wife loves to run. Um, She used to be very competitive, in case you didn't know it. She used to do what we call mud runs and Spartan races, and she was on a team, and she was very competitive. And then... You know, she had baby number two, and then she got bursitis in her hip, and she can't do more than about 15 or 18 miles, or her hip locks up. And um, so she had to quit doing marathons, but she's now training for a half marathon. Some of you know, in October, she ran a half marathon in Nairobi, Kenya. She's training for, you know, the Seattle Rock and Roll half marathon in June. I don't enjoy doing that. I don't enjoy, I get shin splints after about two blocks of actual running. <laughs> I don't enjoy doing that. It doesn't make her a better person. Maybe a little bit, but not really. <laughs> it means we have different passion. But here's the beauty of it. She doesn't condemn me and say, I'm not enough of a Christian or enough of a man or enough of a person if I don't run. But what I do is, when she has her long runs on Saturday, before she gets home, I clean up the house, because normally that's the day we clean up the house, because she works long hours. She doesn't say, now make sure the house is clean when I get home. She doesn't say a thing about it. She gets up at usually about 6 a.m. when she has her long runs, and she'll go and run, and because she loves our little community and our little city, there's times she'll get up at 6, go on her long run, and then meet at the park to do the 5K at the park there in Des Moines. And sometimes I'll meet her, and I just walk for 5K. I just, where am I? I have little sneakers that I wear, and I just walk. And she runs, and then she runs by me, and then she waits for me to get done. But I serve her, not because she demands it, but because she want, because she, I love her. God looks and he says, just because James is really heavy and good at cardio, and you're not, Jeff, you're not acceptable to me. He doesn't. He's looking and saying, I'm calling you to something. And what I'm calling you to may not be what the person on the left and the right is, but if I'm calling you to it, be committed to it. Be dedicated. And I do things that my wife would have no interest in doing. I love to be out in the woods, especially in the winter. 
and walking up and down hills. My wife hates to be cold. She used to ski, and one day she told me, I'm not going to ski anymore. And I said, why not? She was actually a better skier than me. She goes, I don't like cold. I've just been lying to myself for years. I was like, wait, what? Because she skied when I met her, and so that was something we would do. She goes, if you want me to go, I'll sit inside and read. I decided I'm done. It was just the end of a day one day, and she hasn't skied since. She decided she was done. Okay. But just because I do that and she doesn't, doesn't make me better than her. Okay? And we've got to stop the idea that I'm going to not do this and this and this, and I'm going to be better than the other people. That's not how righteousness works. Finally, when I talk about responding to God's word, I have to remember, I'm a joint heir. Romans 8, 17 tells me I'm an heir to the kingdom of God, which means all the things Jesus could do through his Holy Spirit, he has given us the power to do. He's given us the power to do the miraculous. He's given us the power to do whatever it is that he did, minus having the divinity. And this is where some people, I think, mess up because they believe that they're able to be equal with Jesus or they're going to be a God. And that's not what that says. And I've heard that passage misused. You are in Christ, you are an heir, but you are not the same. An heir to the throne is not the same as the king. And don't ever think it. And you will never achieve kingdom nature, but you're still invited into the throne room. It's a subtle difference, but embrace that difference and love the fact that you've been called. The third way I see my purpose in Christ is this. I have everything I need to live a godly life. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 tells me this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You may not realize it, but you have everything in you to live a divine life. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Not because you're so good, but through understanding and relationship with him, you have all things that you need. The world will come against you, but I will not be overcome by the world. I do not have to be afraid because in Christ there is no fear. I do not have to hide my faith, but I can walk confidently in him. As Philippians 4, 13 tells me, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can walk in him. I can be confident in him. I have all that I need in him. Simply because I'm in relationship with him. And it's time to be done allowing fear and anxiety to overtake me in my walk with Christ. Are those real things? Absolutely. But they do not have to win. Do I have to get up and battle them every day? Yes, you do. And that battle is real. But he's on your side. He's on your side. God is on your side. And he looks and he goes, 
You have everything in you that you need to live this life. So go be godly this week. Go walk in Christ. Go rest in that place. Go be confident of who you are in him. You're not defeated. You are an overcomer. You may give in to your addiction today, but tomorrow is a new day and you are an overcomer. You may be struggling with your past mistakes and sins, but tomorrow is a new day and you are forgiven. You may just feel restless and say, I don't know what to do. And he's looking at you and saying, just be in me. Just come and rest in me. Or he may be saying, get out there and do something and show the world around you who you are in me. Not because you're so great, because every one of you in here is great in your own way. But it has nothing to do with whether or not you're great. It has everything to do with whether or not you are in him. And he looks at you and he says, you are my child. You are chosen. You are in me. You're not sinless. But you recognize your sin and you've called out to me. You're walking above reproach, not so that the people in the seats around you have to follow your set of rules and guidelines, but when God has called me to something, I'm going to do it. When he's called me away from something, I'm not going to worry about whether the person on my left or my right does it. I'm going to walk in that. Not perfected, but pursuing God. Caring for the body. Caring for the spirit. Ephesians 2.10, for though, I'm sorry, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God knew who you were and he has good things for you to walk in. Not because you're not enough, but because he wants to give you good. Let's walk in it. Let's claim what's rightly ours. You are created in Christ to do good, and you are prepared for it. Stop saying, oh, I don't know if my spiritual walk is strong enough to really speak to my coworker." Again, don't be weird. Don't hit people in the face with the Bible. Love people, serve people, and you know what? They're going to take advantage of you, and at the same time, that's for God to deal with with them. Let's love and show those around us who Christ is. If we don't like what's going on in the world, the only way to change it is one individual at a time and them coming into a relationship with Christ. Just for one moment, just think about before you were a Christian. Maybe you grew up in the church, maybe you didn't. But before you were in Christ versus now, where you're at today, maybe you've been a Christian a day, maybe you've been a Christian 70 years. But before versus now, are you a changed and better person? Not better because you're better than others, but better than who you were. Not on a sliding scale of, well, I'm still not as good as the Pope. No, stop the sliding scale. Are you better than you with Christ than you were without him? Because if so, then you're making progress. And if not, then we have to ask, what's going on in you? Not are you perfect? Not are you 100%? Not, oh, I still fail. Of course you do. You're human. But are you better? Are you a better follower of Christ today than you were even 10 years ago, even if you were already a believer? Am I moving forward? Because I've been given 
all I need to do that. Do you believe God has a purpose for you? And if so, how will this cause you to live differently day to day? How will this cause you to live differently this week? Who do you need to reach out to and love more? Who do you need to make amends with because you've severed relationship? Who have you written off? What changes do I need to make in order to really let Christ be reflected through me? Because that's what I've been called to do, is day by day, each day, let the world see who I am in Christ. And most of them are going to reject it. Time after time after time, they're going to reject it. But sometime, someone's going to see it and know it and need it. And when we're consistent, we're the one they can turn to and go, what is it that you have? And they may not even word it like that. They probably won't. They'll probably just want to talk to you about how they're struggling in their marriage, how they're struggling in their job, how they're struggling in their family. They're going to want to talk to you about how they're struggling in some area, and you're going to be able to open that door and love them and walk them through it. Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that we are in you, that we are called, we are chosen. We are not perfect, and we are not even perfected, but we are in you, and we have opportunity in you to become all you've created us to be. God, I just pray today that the people of Gathering Place would see that and know that, that we would become who you've called us to be. Lord, that as we are in you, we would reflect you. We would love well. We would serve well. We would stop having this idea that I have to do these things and start living out, I've got to become who Christ created me to be. Because I am enough in him. And yet that also drives us, Father God, drives us to action. And let us listen for the action that you want us to take. We thank you and praise you, God, for all that you do in your name. Amen. Um, If you would like prayer today, members from the prayer team will be on this side over here. And we invite you to come and be prayed for if there's anything going on in your life. And the second thing is I want to let you know that it's not too late to sign up for softball if you haven't signed up yet. We would love to have you on our church team or teams as the case may be. Uh, See Matt and Daphne. They'll be back in the lobby and they would love to talk to you and get your details. So come on out, join us. Our games start in April, but our practices start in about a month. So we'd love to have you be a part. All skill levels, co-ed. So come and join us. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.